Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and welcome to the show, Simon Hunter. Hello. Hi, Stuart. Nice to speak to you. Indeed, indeed. And I should, I won't, I won't, I'll let the, uh, I'll let the audience in on a bit, of, on a bit of a, what's behind the Wizard of Oz's curtain. You, you actually were the first filmmaker I've interviewed. Do you know that? Not just that we I, I interviewed you a long time ago, but the first. Oh my God, that's uh, <laughs> what a frightening statistic to start off the interview with. It can only go uphill after that one. Oh my goodness me, that was. Uh, it, what was? Would that be 1950 something? When was that? It was in black and white, and and, and it was on, it was on <clears> magnetic. Was say, it, was, it, was, it was either me or chat or you know modern times. You were going to see that week at the flex, I think. <laughs> it was that bloody hell? It was oh, on magnetic goodness. tape. There was no internet. Oh, I think there was very little internet when we spoke. There probably was some. I couldn't. I couldn't have started much. a podcast then. I certainly couldn't have started a podcast of my own. No, amazing world change. And that was obviously Lighthouse, which played at the very first yes, Fright Fest. And listeners, yes, to the, indeed. Listeners to the podcast. I mean, I've over the last four or five years, I've done a regular round of preview podcasts ahead of Fright Fest, where I speak to about twenty filmmakers before showing their films. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, no, that's. Oh, well, I was speaking to Alan Jones just the other day. Actually, I was texting him, and um, he's such a great supporter of uh, UK filmmakers and stuff. So you know, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing they, thing for right yeah. best. Yeah, they, I mean, they have they, they 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 bracket a section out now about you know Britain, for, you know first first British movies and things like that. Mm. Um, so it's really exciting. But yeah, so that was when when you and I first spoke. So that's a long time to go without talking. I don't think I don't. None of us have took it personally. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> Long time, but we've come uh, together. Good days, good days, indeed. But we've come together to talk about your new film, Edie, which is a very different animal than something that might get shown at Fright Fest. So, do you want to? So, I mean, that that that's out in cinemas. We're talking on the twenty fourth of May, and that's out on the twenty fifth of May. Is that just yes. cinemas, or is it out elsewhere, sort of VOD and? Nope. Of no, no, no. It's uh, out in cinemas across the country. We've got a uh, over a hundred screen release, about one hundred and ten screens up and down Britain in every major town and city. So I'm, I'm uh, absolutely delighted. You know, it was a small passion project film, and I, uh, um, you know, I was sort of in my mind thought, I wonder if we'll get into the cinemas one or two screens. You know, um, and it's just taken off. So it's been amazing, really. That's, that's I, I'd never have dreamed for that 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 level of release. It's at Cineworld and. My view and uh, picture houses and everywhere. No, I saw the uh, I saw the posters at uh, Holborn Tube as I was going home the other night. A lovely. It's a, it's a lovely fit when you see it. You got to enjoy those moments. You know, you wonder when they'll how they don't come that often when you see your own movie on the underground. But it's uh, it's really nice to for a tube to pull up and there's your film. So so for those so now you tell us when when and where we can see it. So do you want to tell people like a brief synopsis to what Edie's about? Yes, Edie is a story. It's a, a little passion project. It's uh, the story of an old lady who's had a very bitter and miserable life. And she's been married to somebody who she's had to look after. She's been effectively a carer. Her husband had a, had a stroke. And she's looked after him her whole life, been inside, had a miserable time. And one day he dies when she's very old. And um, her life, she realizes, has just been a miserable, horrible regret really mm. and the only time she ever had any fun was when she was with her father when she was young when she was a teenager and they used to go off camping to scotland and all over the uk having adventures and uh, climbing up hills and mountains and exploring the world 
and she decides to give to relive a little bit of this magic and that she's going to try and um, head out and see if any of that magic that she had as a child she can find again. I mean, she's got nothing to lose. She's literally just facing going to an old folks home with her mum, with her daughter, sorry. And um, that's all that's ahead of her. So she thinks, well, why not? And she packs a little bags and she heads up to Scotland. It's all a bit of a fantasy in her head, really. But mm. she meets a little, a little chap called Johnny, who's played by Kevin Guthrie, uh, and he helps her. He trains her and he 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 shows her how modern tents work and little stoves work. And he gives her confidence and they bond together as a sort of intergenerational friendship. And by the end, Edie has enough confidence that she decides to really to, that she's really actually going to have a go at climbing this mountain. It wasn't at the end. It, it, the fantasy bit disappears and she thinks, no, do you know what? I'm going to have a go. Mm. And it's that story. It's a, a gentle little character story. Um, it's quite simple in a nice way. It's uh, it's uh, warm and it's upbeat and it's a uh, feel-good film. It's not a indeed. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's got a sense. It's certainly not depressing. Yeah, it's, it's got a sense of the um, you can you can live a life of regret, but it's never too late to to try and rectify that. But also, it's kind of, with with the with the with the guys she sort of befriends. There's also an element of um, how do you say uh, almost like passing on the baton of saying. Of raising the question, are you sure what you're about to do? I'm not going to spoil anything about what we'll actually discuss or anything, but it's almost like to say to the next generation, if you feel like you're, this is imposed on you, then maybe do what you want to do, because you'll, you'll, you'll soon be 83 like me. I think yes, in a funny way, while our audience, a lot of our audience will be older people and it is starring an older person, actually, it's in a funny way, it's aimed more at... The original idea came from a a student who I think was studying psychology at university and I, and they wanted to be a journalist. And I said, well, why didn't, why didn't you study journalism? And they said, oh, well, I'm, I'm a year into my course. There's no way I can do that now. And they were 21, you know, they were a baby. <laughs> and, and then you thought, well, come on, you know, um, yeah. And, and I mean, we should say it's, why sti- not? it's, st- it's starring uh, Sheila Hancock and we'll get, we'll get on to Sheila's performance and, and you directing it later but let's first I want to start with the uh, with the, the conception of the story if I can because it's really interesting this is the first time I've come across this in terms of the way the credits are laid out as far as IMDB tells us about the film it's it's a story that's based on an idea by you and yes. then a story by Edward Lyndon Bell but then a screenplay yes. by Elizabeth O'Halloran Yes. Do, do you want to talk us through what that for the layperson listening? How does how does a script end up being sort of three parts <laughs> to get to one screenwriter, as it were? Uh, yes. I mean, no. I mean, scripts they always have their own lives and their own journeys, and you never know what they're going to be when you start off. I yeah. mean, I had a, the idea that I wanted to do this story and I wanted to set it on this mountain in this place yeah. and with an older lady and. Um, so I had the bare bones of a story and Ed and I went to film school together and he's got a very good, uh, uh, very good story brain. He's uh, really, you know, understands story and uh, has got a real good sense of structure and uh, how films should be. And he wrote um, some treatments and then he wrote some drafts of the script, the very early ones, and um, did some very, very fine work. I mean, really, you know, broke the back of how the story should be and... Uh, you know, the structure and everything else. And then as it came on, really, I just sort of thought it needed, you know, you were pushing it even further. And I felt it was a very female story and wanted to, to see if there was a, a writer out there who could just sort of give it a lightness of touch and just take it on to a, 
you know, a different level. Mm. Um, uh, and it's not, it's, it's never worse or better, you know, as, 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 as in terms of talent or anything, it's just that they provide something that's different. And, you know, sometimes you just, you know, you can get exhausted with pushing out the structure of the story and you need somebody to come in, see what it is and, um, and give it that lightness of touch and just, you know, keep it that sort of souffle of a, of a screenplay rather than a sort of heavy meat stew, which is what I, I wasn't trying to, mm. trying to do. So I found this writer and she was very young. I think Elizabeth's 24 or something, 25. She'd just been through a screenwriting course at college and um, she'd come top of her class and she just had a, a very nice lightness in her way. And uh, she's Irish has got a very Celtic feel to her writing and it was just right. I thought it was just right for the, for the screenplay. So she, she took it on and, and moved it into the area that it is now really. So it's, it's sometimes you, you bash away with one writer and you get the structure and everything else. And then somebody can take it a little bit further with fresh eyes. And, you know, they're less sort of in the trenches in the mud with you as the, as the director trying to, to develop it. So it's hard development. I mean, every director will tell you how hard it is because it's always, you're always trying to put yourself in the minds of the, of the fresh person reading it for the first time. And if you develop forever, then you just start, you do develop forever, but it's self, fulfilling it's uh becomes redundant because you just get bored of of working on the script for so many years so uh you, you just keep rewriting it because you're you know because you get bored with it and then you rewrite it again and change it and so, you know so, and i'm not so, sure so, you're making it much better so the benefit for you was somebody like um elizabeth elizabeth coming in could almost like refresh your own enthusiasm for what the possibilities were. As I think, think that's absolutely right. Yes, yeah. she can do that. She can refresh your own eyes. She can bring new things to it. Um, she Ex- can give exercise, it a lightness of exercise touch. Exercise those ghosts of previous drafts that you don't have to worry yeah, about anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Ed and I are very structured people, and we, we had a very structured script, and mm. he did amazing work, amazing work on that. Um, and I just I wanted sort of the edge taken off the structure, really. So it became a bit lighter, a bit more just a sort of something that was sort of blowing in the wind, really a leaf more than a, you know, more than something that sort of began and started and stopped. And it needed a slightly a sort of very gentle, rough feel. To it. Yeah, yeah. And that's must, what Elizabeth yeah, I was brought say, in. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what you've achieved, isn't it? Because it's there is while there is obviously a, a, an, an inciting moment that makes her decide to go off and do this radical thing for an 83 year old. Yeah. It still ebbs and flows almost like a slice of life, doesn't it? Once, yes, it does. Yeah, it, it was always, I always wanted to do a film that was not, I didn't want to do a sort of um, quite a British, quite plotted. She goes to Scotland, there's lots of relevation, uh, you know, uh, revelations about her and things that she's done and she meets somebody from her past and it twists and t- turns quite dramatically and it, it folds up at the end with lots of hugs and, and and it felt very standard sort of I wanted it to have a, you know to be as sort of light and as open and could breathe as much as possible um, and, and and sort of be as deceptively simple as, as, as I possibly could you know and, and that's and that's a, a real choice you know and uh, and some people who want a big heavy plotty uh, twist turning huge deep character study it's not going to be for them it's going to be for people who just want the the film to sort of you know waft over them in a very nice warm emotional way that's it was a real choice now you, you talk in, in a macro sense you're saying that, that elizabeth was able to bring that kind of lightness of tone and stuff that, that, that the structure wasn't yeah. able to breathe and so can you is there any way you can sort of illustrate with a specific example where 
something new that Elizabeth brought as the screenwriter that was like, yeah, you, you suddenly, I guess it's that, that horrible phrase, but you know it when you see it. And then when Elizabeth presented you with this. Kind oh, of... it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, Edie's voice, Edie's dialogue in the script mm. that's, that, that was there that a, a 23 year old, you know, young Irish woman can mm. brought to the script. You know, she had that way of talking, you know, she, she had that, uh, she brought Edie's voice, that cantankerous, you know, bitter lady, yeah. you know, uh, uh, you know, she, she understood who she was. She could see her. I think she modeled her on somebody she knew, uh, grandmother, I think. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and so that, you know, that came through. And I think suddenly when I, when I read it, yes, I thought, yes, she, 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 she's got the voices. She, she is inside all these characters. Mm. Now um, I was, I was at, um, I was at the No Direction Home uh, director's thing that Matt Harlock runs the other night, and I was listening to a talk from um, Hope, uh, Hope uh, Leach, Dixon, Hope Dixon Leach, okay, who did uh, the Leveling, and uh, oh, she yeah. was talking Good about movie. she was talking about the uh, the notion of 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 uh, making screenplays that pre- that, that uh, present the challenge to an actor, where basically they're going to be the film. Now I yeah. think it's safe to say that Edie is Edie's film. And that's yeah. played by, uh, that character's played by uh, Sheila Hancock. Now, was she a given from the moment you, you went out to, to cast with it? Or was she a challenge to get? I mean, how did you, how did you well, get to... Well, I mean, the most, without giving the plot away, the most, um, first of all, the, 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 the hard dynamic task of the, of the script is that they, that the lead character has to climb this mountain in Scotland, at least mm. attempt to climb it. And we mm. were never going to... For, for creative and financial reasons, we were never in the position where we could helicopter crew and, and cast on and off. And it's really in the middle of nowhere. It's, mm. it's a 14 kilometer, you know, sort of nine mile um, walk into the base of the, of the, of the, of the mountain. And then a, a four hour scramble on hands and knees up this mountain. And then you come to a little sort of rest area that's sort of half of the, the, the sort of, um, sort of south summit of the, of the mountain. And then you continue for another hour to get to the top it's a fair climb for Mm. anybody who's fit i mean anybody who's fit even in their 50s it's hard and i i thought is there an actress who is old enough that you would think wow this is an incredible achievement what a struggle but actually that uh, she's older but but also fit enough that she could actually do it was there actually anybody anywhere who could do that forget your casting list of putting your dames and your and your this and then the baftas and all of this stuff Mm. was there an actor a world-class actress who could deliver a really fantastic performance but actually who could do this And, and actually i think once it boiled down, there was Sheila and only Sheila. Mm. Um, because I asked our casting director and we, we went through these. No, 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 she's quite frail. She's that. And it's Sheila Hancock. And I said, well, how old is she? She's 83. Wow. OK, is she fit? And, and, the, and, and Jeremy Zimmerman, who was our casting director, said she's bouncing around on the stage doing Grey Gardens. She's bouncing around like a bloody teenager. Mm. And uh, so we, and I thought, wow, OK, she's an incredible actress. So I sent her the script. And she replied literally the next day. I mean, that's just how she does. She's got a a mind that's just incredible. Needs to be just fed information because she just processes stuff so quickly. And she's sort of intellectual powerhouse of of stuff. She just, mm. you know, you can't. So she would. I can imagine her getting it, sitting down, boom, not getting up till it's read and done. Check. Mm. I want to do it. No, no walking around going shall I, shan't I? Mm. And then I met her. And I met her the. Um, about two days later, I mean, the very first thing she said to me, she said, Simon, you don't expect me to 
to climb this mountain, do you? <laughs> and uh, I was with the producer, Mark, and I looked at the ground and thought, oh, dear. Uh, and I sort of said, well, Sheila, we kind of do, actually. And she said, well. And it was kind of that sort of meeting. And she didn't really say anything. But I think she probably thought, oh, my God. Um, and I think then mentally in the next few days, she put her mind to doing it. And um, she then went, she got a soldier in, uh, I think an ex-army soldier. And she went to the gym and the soldier trained her in Richmond Park. And she went hiking uh, in the park. She'd never been camping or out. Really, she's a, a London lady. You know, she's yeah. not a... She's not an outdoor person and uh, in, in, in a sort of sense of camping and things. Uh, so she really put her heart and soul into it over three and a half, four months and then cut to, you know, there we were in the wilds of Scotland um, the day we were going to film. And, and we, you know, we, she, she didn't know whether she could do it. I mean, you don't know till you can do it. She would she would call me all the time and say, well, how hard is it? Right, you know, these okay. ridge, the, the, the hard, the difficult, scary ridge you're talking about. Is how scary is that? And, and, and but it's only words. Your answer, you know, you can say, well, it's kind of scary, Sheila, or it's not so scary, or it's okay. Mm. But it means nothing until you're there at that time. It's completely ambiguous. You can't describe to somebody how hard something's going to be. They only know the day that they're they're there doing it. And so when we when we were there in in May in in Scotland, you know, we we were looking at her, going, wow, we're about to set out on an enormous challenge and we and the way we decided to do it is that we decided the only way we could we could get a lady like this of 83 up this mountain with such a huge walk-in was actually to to camp mm. so that we we packed our rucksacks uh we filmed we unpacked them we filmed a bit uh we packed them up again we walked on unpacked them filmed a bit got to the loch so on and so forth, filmed the rowing scene, filmed Sheila Go, all of that kind of stuff. And then we literally camped one night. It was fairly similar to how it is in the in the finished film. But mm. it took us it was two two long nights out in the wilds. And it was very cold when we were filming and Sheila was frozen, you know, and she had to, you know, you we forget what a stunning achievement that is. It was two nights out, mm. huge walk in. She was cold. She was also it's, it's it was a tent like a tent that you would camp in. This is not like glam glamping. It's yeah. a huge big marquee tent. It was it was windy nights. And then the very next day, we expected her at seven in the morning to get up and, and then uh, and be on camera, you know, at, at, at seven thirty in the morning into makeup and off you go. I mean, it was incredible, you know, and then she had to climb it. And then when we got to the very base of the mountain itself. We, you know, we, we, we the first and I, you know, went to see her and we said, Sheila, if you if you want to pull out now is the, the time because we yeah. can get you out. We can we can all walk back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you commit to doing it, there's nothing you have to get to the top somehow. And she said yes. And she tried to do it. And and she did it bit by bit, one foot in front of the other. She she did it. And it was it was hands and knees on moving rock that came loose. And you, I mean, she's easily could have twisted an ankle or. Well, anyway, or I mean, but I mean, anyway, you, you, you only have to look at your wide shots of it. It's a fairly yeah. fierce. It's a fairly fierce bit of land yeah. to have to have to ascend. Yeah, it really. really is, and there's nothing that we doubled up or or anything. It's absolutely all for real. She did every single thing for every single bit, you know. Uh, and then, of course, the film can't capture the fact that. We, we've, you know, she did this 
mountain climb two weeks into the shoot because we, we were waiting for the good weather and we were just going to drop our bag, uh, whatever we were shooting, the schedule would just be boom, thrown in the bin. We would fill our rucksacks with, with, with Zeiss lenses and, and cameras and everything else and off we would go. That's how we got the good weather mm. by sort of last minute crisis management. And, uh, and so she'd been on camera for two weeks, six days a week, cycling and rowing and in the rain and in rain machines and, and goodness knows what else. And also just the fact that, as you said earlier, Stuart, she was, um, you know, she was covering this film. She was the front. She knew she was in almost every scene. Mm. And it's and you always forget the pressure, especially the director and everybody else. You have to remind yourself that that everybody's looking at them especially when you've got that sort of role, when you're in almost every scene and they know because she's an incredibly smart woman that if they don't deliver and don't perform, you can, we can hear, we can sit and talk about directing things and lenses and coverage and how we do it and the music and all that stuff, but it's all worthless if they don't deliver. And, and that's a lot of pressure. So all that pressure, all that physical pressure, cycling, rowing, boom, six days a week. And then off we go on this huge hike you know, hands and knees and ledges and heights and, and performing and acting on the I was top. Gonna, I was going to say, from a directing point of view, and obviously this is not your first rodeo by any stretch of imagination, but, but obviously working with someone who, <laughs> by definition of being 83, is as time-served as, as Sheila is, and also with the physical challenges that you've got ahead of you, which is they're just kind of almost like they're 50% of what needs to be achieved. Then, like you say, there's the performance. How did you and Sheila sort of negotiate and and get to a point where she knew what you wanted, as it were, as a you know, or, or you knew what she could give? Either way, you know. I think we had lots of discussions beforehand about the sort of you know the sort of character that she was and mm. what how I wanted it played, and I wanted it very very natural. You know, I wanted Sheila as natural as she possibly can. She's actually quite very good when she's what you might call theatrical. Sometimes it's a dirty word, but I mean, James <laughs> Cagney, James Cagney was very theatrical. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's I think it's a called a presence, but, isn't it, though, as well? It's yeah, like you, you, I mean, you know, uh, the Jack, Nichols, Jack Nicholson is a yeah. theatrical actor. You know, they're big personalities. I didn't want that. I wanted a very natural Sheila, mm. which, um, you know, we talked about a lot. And, and Kevin Guthrie, her co-stars, are very natural actor as well. So, um, you know, we, we had lots of chats about who she was and where she came from. And, uh, you know, so that when we were filming, it was all very, you know, it was all very quite planned in, in everybody's heads. But it was uh, amazing to see. I mean, you know, she's she's got a very strong view on, you know, who, how she is and how her performance is. Um, and, and a very good script brain, actually, Sheila. She's a very uh, quite narratively driven as well. She she understands where you were in the in the script, and she was very good like that mm. in terms of you know if we were just doing a shot of her walking along, even though you probably sometimes it would be shot from the back. She wanted to know how far it was to the to the you know how far she'd been walking, how far she did it. it was every bit of information she wanted to just slightly influence her performance. It was like I, I enjoyed that. It was it was nice being pushed. You know, to, to 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 give actors the the, the maximum information that you can. I, so, you, so you learn a lot. I learn a lot from her. I was going to say, yeah, because there's a lot. There's a lot of moments in the film where where obviously it's about her about emphasising her loneliness or being alone. So yeah. it's not about her talking. It's about what we see no. register on her face, isn't it? So it's about the closeness. Yes, thing. it is. And I think you know she tells us a lot without doing a lot. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, yes, it really is. I mean, the final sort of um, half an hour of the film is, is, is uh, 
you know, it's it's uh, silent. It's silent filmmaking, mm. effectively, almost. I mean, there's a few bits of dialogue scenes, but it's but there's a lot of visual storytelling. And, um, you know, she hadn't done a lot of that before. And it was it was a good marriage, actually, because um, she it was, because it wasn't because we both were coming from different places, which is quite conflicting in some ways. Mm. You know, she comes from a theater dialogue word driven performance driven and i come from very much a visual background and mm. so that conflict that we both you know i was very much thinking often thinking about visuals as well as the performance and she was just the performance and didn't really you know w- worry so much about the visuals it was some it was a good uh, good different backgrounds rubbing against each other sometimes but i it made the film better you know for example let me give you an example of that yeah, um there was a scene where she was having an argument at the beginning in the, in the, in England, in the rain. And, um, uh, and I wanted it, I wanted the whole scene in the rain. And she she came up to me and she said, Simon, I know you, you know, you want all this drama of the rain and everything else, but if, if we're in the rain or the whole performance will be me doing it at one tempo, at one level. And if you, if, if, if you do it all in the rain, then you won't have that, that sort of, um, uh, that drop of, of, of performance. So you, you won't be able to, uh, have that beautiful, um, uh, light and shade. So one minute you're, you're quiet and it's more intimate and you're, and reflective. And then the next minute you're just, you know, mm. the, the, the anger and resentment is pouring out of you. And if we do it all in the rain, I just can't get that. And so it was something that I thought, well, no, Sheila, it'd be nice in the rain. And you go away and you think, well, do you know what? She's right. Let's, we will, let's try it in a different way. And, and, uh, and so that did happen on a few occasions. And it was good. I was, it was, sometimes it's great. I, I often worry when you agree too much with people on film sets because you're more likely to go down a, an avenue that, you know, um, uh, where, where you're both, you know, patting each other on the back, and and, and 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 you end up just so indulgent down one avenue or the other. There's no push and push and pull. You don't have to justify your decisions. Mm. So I, I quite like a little bit of conflict actually on a film set. I, I think it's get, actually getting older. In, in the old days, when I was, you know, making Lighthouse, you sort of just wanted one way, and it was your way. And now actually, I like conf- I like people with strong opinions. But also, but also, I think I think it's having the confidence to understand that somebody could have the, could have a better idea, and it's the best I, it's the best idea you want into. The, the, the single best, most important thing I've, I mean, you always know it, I suppose, but you have to learn it. <laughs> is, is 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 actually the humility on a film set is the best thing. Is is that and and, and it, but it has to be two way. You hmm. you really want to whoever it may be, actors, editors, cinematographer. You want to have that battle of ideas. So you would I would run around with August, the cinematographer, and, and say, August, what about this shot? And he would run around and say, No, Simon, this is better. And 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 sometimes I would go, Oh, do you know what, August, it is better. And sometimes he would say, No, Simon, I think let's do it your way. My way is not as good. Uh, and you, that's what you really want. In, in a, the, the people aren't thinking, "Oh gosh, he's the cinematographer; he should make all the decisions." Or he's the director; he should make all the decisions. That that little battle that you have, that little conflict, is a very I mean, t- t- you know, that's strong a good, thing. good segue that Simon. Because I was going to ask, in terms of because obviously you've got you've got England and you've got Scotland, two very different locations in in terms of the story, not just obviously physically. Yeah. And so what was your conversation with, with August about the photography of the film, you know, what you wanted to get? Because it's very much a kind of int- intimate, claustrophobic, domestic situation in Britain. And then you've got, uh, sorry, in England, and then you've got the yes. wide open spaces of yeah. the mountain. Class. It, was a, it was a film, the first thing I said to August, it was a film that opens out. It right, starts, okay. 
it starts tight and and, and unpleasant and longer lens and you know um, where everything's crushed together and a, a suffocating world of unhappiness and as the film goes get goes on it gets broader and broader and opens out and also becomes more colorful mm. you know that the last i always wanted to do a graduated thing so when we were grading the film in in berlin in post republic of berlin we we had up uh, at one point we had the final frame of the film and the first frame and um uh, you know we wanted to see the the huge change that had gone between the two first shot you see of sheila and and the the last shot of her and the um, in the final shot of the film. And I wanted to see that the progression that, w- that we did. Mm. So it was very much about that. But then the photography itself, I wanted to uh, be careful of doing too many p- picture postcards of Scotland. I wanted to have a more impressionistic um, sort of cinema, you, you know, feel to it. Mm. So that you would, you know, things might be out of focus, drifting in the background, and you would capture things, and the camera would be very loose. And, you know, it, but also, unashamedly, I didn't want kitchen sink. I, I mm. wanted something that, 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 that was nicely composed and did look nice. I mean, it was, you know, I like directors like Adrian Lyne, who's got a beautiful... Um, cinematic uh, look to his films. It's quite traditional. You know, it probably comes from the David Leans and, Hmm. you know, Willie Wyler's and where you trace it all backwards. Um, But I I mean, I quite like that. And I thought it was appropriate for this sort of story. This is not a radical story we're telling. It's it's a a nice, warm, upbeat, feel-good film. That's that's what I wanted to do. So So it was a balance getting that right. Now, now you've, you've obviously intimated about the trials and tribulations of taking on such a physical challenge for A, you and your film casting crew, but also taking an, an octogenarian on film to, to follow you in your footsteps with you to make it happen. But what, yeah. would, you, what would you say, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's impossible not to, not to be able to imagine you know, what, what, what challenges that would have brought, but what, what were your kind of favourite, what, what's the favourite memory of the shoot in terms of what you're, able to, what you're able to achieve given the challenges you perceive going into it? Good question. Uh, Favourite memory of the shoot? Oh, gosh, I think... um, Favourite memory of the shoot? I I, I think... I'm sure it was the mountain when we all went out onto the mountain together. It was such a bonding experience for the whole crew. Um, It was... The the weather was stunning. Um, I remember with... uh, I got up with uh, Craig, our Irish uh, first AD, and we were up at six o'clock in the morning on the second day of filming on the mountain. We'd all camped overnight, mm. and it was six o'clock, and we'd gone off to get a boat, I think, with some equipment, and I'd gone with him to discuss the day. And it was the most stunning, beautiful morning you could imagine going down this lock at six in the morning. It was just unbelievably lovely. Mm. And, and we said to each other, we said, you know what, it's it's whatever filmmaking, if we're all the stress and the you know, whatever the downsides of filmmaking are. And uh, to, to be here at this time, at this moment, is a real, real privilege. It was just beautiful to be making a film in the wilds with such talent on such a beautiful morning. And I remember thinking, you know, you just these moments just don't come very often. Yeah, you're, you're selling me the idea of what a time to be alive there. <laughs> no, it was lovely. It really was, though. And, and I... And I uh, you know, I again, I think it's getting a bit older. You think you you appreciate these moments, and you don't think you know. You just think, wow, that's that's. I'll remember this time forever. Mm. It was it was it was lovely to making a film I really liked and wanted to make at this you know, and, and, and to be in that wilderness, the wilderness that I'd been in as a child, you know, with my father um, 
uh, fishing and and doing all sorts of adventures myself because I, I I've been you know lived in that area. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But to be there with a film crew making a film was it was very special. It was really really nice. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, let's let's remind people then when 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 and how can they see the film? You can see Edie opens on the 25th of May, Friday the 25th of May. It opens across cinemas across the UK. We've got a very very wide release. Um, you can find your local cinema and book tickets at edfilm.co.uk, edfilm.co.uk. Uh, it's one of those lovely, nice websites that just you just type in where you are and it just pings up when it's going to be showing. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a real... Every director says their film is, 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 should be seen on the big screen. I know that. But if there's, if, uh, if there's anything I've done, this is the film to see on the big screen because it really is a landscape immersive movie and um you know I, I i think if you want something feel good and upbeat and uh a warm film this is this is the film this is the film for you well look thank you very much for giving us your time on the britflix podcast thank you so much it's really nice to speak i'm sure we'll speak again hopefully not uh it will be less than uh not even years. mass shall we <laughs> oh my god Stuart, that's a long time. Well, it can't be 18 years. I don't even do the maths of how old I'll be at that point. Normally. So uh, let's, let's make it a bit shorter this time. Indeed. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.